are listening to the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year, I'm reading and reflecting on the four-volume, over 2,500-page work by the Venerable Maria of Agreda. And if you would like to read along, you can go over to Tan Books and there acquire your own four volumes of the Mystical City of God. And at checkout, if you use the code PODCAST15, you'll save 15% off at checkout. Also, there's a Facebook group, Mystical City of God in a Year podcast, where you can discuss the day's readings and insights that you've gained from what we read and heard on any given day and interact with other readers and listeners as well. Today is day 38, and we will read chapter 20 from book one in its entirety, paragraphs 312 to 325. Chapter 20. Treating of what happened during the nine months of the pregnancy of St. Anne, the doings of the Most Holy Mary in the womb of her mother, and those of St. Anne during that time. The Most Holy Mary, being conceived without sin, as described above, was entirely absorbed in spirit, and entranced by her first vision of the divinity. At the first instant, and in the narrow dwelling of the maternal womb, began the love of God and her most blessed soul, never to be interrupted, but to continue through all the eternities of that high glory, which she now enjoys at the right hand of her divine Son. In order that she might grow in the contemplation and love of God, not only by the infused knowledge of created things, but also by the direct vision of the Trinity itself, and in order that she might exercise herself in many acts of virtue, Befitting her present state, the Lord repeated the wonderful vision and manifestation of his divinity on two other occasions, so that the Blessed Trinity manifested itself to her in abstract vision three times before her birth. First, at the instant of her conception, then in the fourth or fifth month, and the third time on the day before her birth. This vision was not continual but it must not be inferred that she did not enjoy another kind of vision, very exalted and superior to the one by which she perceived the essence of God in the light of faith. For in the Most Holy Mary these kinds of visions were incessant and continual, and superior to all visions of the saints during their earthly pilgrimage. This abstract vision of the divinity, though not incompatible with her present condition on earth, was nevertheless so high and immediate that it could not well be continuous in her mortal state, where she was to merit the glory of intuitive vision by other acts. It was a special favor to assist her in attaining thereto, for it left in her soul the impress of the Lord's image and raised and consumed her whole being with a burning love of God. These affections were renewed continually during these visions in the most holy soul of Mary, while she remained in the womb of Holy Anne. Thus it happened that being in full possession of her intellectual faculties and occupying herself without intermission in prayer for the human race, in heroic acts of adoration, in reverence, and love of God, in company with the angels, she did not feel the narrowness and confinement of her natural prison, nor the restriction of her senses, nor the other restraints inseparable from such a state. To all this she gave no heed, living more in her beloved, than in the womb of her mother, or in herself. The last of the three visions was accompanied by new and more wonderful favors of the Lord. It was to prepare her for the entrance into the world, 
and for intercourse with mortals. In accordance with the divine will, the princess of heaven said to the Lord, Most high God, Lord of my being, soul of my life, and life of my soul, infinite in thy attributes and perfections, incomprehensible, mighty and rich in mercies, my king and sovereign, out of nothing hast thou given me existence without any merits of mine. Thou hast enriched me with the treasures of thy divine light and grace, in order that by them I may instantly perceive thy immutable being and divine perfections, and that thus thou mightest be the first object of my vision and love, not permitting me to seek any other than thee, the highest good and all my joy. Thou commandest me, my Lord, to issue forth and enter into the material light and converse with creatures. In thy own being, whence all things are reflected as in a most perfect mirror, I have discerned the dangerous state and the miseries of mortal life. If on account of my natural weakness and debility there is danger, lest even in the least point I fail in thy love and service, and if it is possible that I die here, let me die now, before I pass into a state where I may lose thee. But if thy holy will, my Lord and Master, is to be fulfilled, and I am to embark on the tempestuous sea of the world, I beseech thee, most high and mighty God of my soul, to govern my life, direct my steps and all my actions toward pleasing thee. Order in me, holy love, Canticle 2.4, that in the new use which I am to make of creatures, and by thy aid, it may continue to grow. I have perceived in thee the ingratitude of many souls, and as I am of their nature, I fear with good reason that perhaps I may become guilty of the same fault. In this narrow cavity of my mother's womb, I have enjoyed the infinite vastness of thy divinity. Here I possessed all good, thee thyself, my beloved. And since here thou alone art my portion and possession, Psalm 72, I know not whether outside of this enclosure I may not lose it at the sight of the created light and in the use of my senses. If it were possible and appropriate to renounce the intercourse of approaching life, I would gladly renounce and lose the experience of it. But let not my will, but thine be done. Therefore, since thou wishest it, confer upon me thy blessing and goodwill at my entrance into the world, and do not deprive me of thy divine protection during the earthly course in which thou placest me. Having thus poured forth her prayer, the most sweet child Mary received the benediction of the Most High, and the command to issue forth into the light of the visible sun, at the same time being enlightened for the fulfillment of all his desires. The most happy mother, Holy Anne, passed the days of her pregnancy altogether spiritualized by the divine operations and the sweet workings of the Holy Ghost in all her faculties. Divine Providence, however, in order to direct her course to greater merit and reward, ordained that the, the ballast of trouble be not wanting, for without it the cargo of grace and love is scarcely ever secure. In order to understand better what happened to this holy woman, it must be remembered that Satan, after he was hurled with the other bad angels from heaven into the infernal torments, never ceased, during the reign of the old law, to search through the earth, hovering with lurking vigilance above the women of distinguished holiness, in order to find her, whose sign he had seen, Genesis 3.15, and whose heel was to bruise and crush his head. Lucifer's wrath against men was so fierce that he would not trust this investigation to his inferiors alone, 
but leaving them to operate against the virtuous woman in general, he himself attended to this matter and assiduously hovered around those who signalized themselves more particularly in the exercise of virtue and in the grace of the Most High. Filled with malice and astuteness, he observed closely the exceeding great holiness of the excellent matron Anne and all the events of her life. And although he could not estimate the richness of the treasure which was enclosed in her blessed womb, since the Lord concealed this as well as many other mysteries from him, yet he felt a powerful influence proceeding from the Saint Anne. The fact that he could not penetrate into the source of this activity threw him at times into great fury and rage. At other times, he quieted himself with the thought that the pregnancy arose from the same causes as others in the course of nature, and that there is no special cause for alarm, for the Lord left him to his own hallucinations and to the vagaries of his own fury. Nevertheless, the whole event was a source of great misgiving to this perverse spirit when he saw how quietly her pregnancy took its course, and especially when he saw that many angels stood in attendance. Above all, he was enraged at his weakness in resisting the force, which proceeded from the blessed Anne, and he suspected that it was not she alone who was the cause of it. Filled with this mistrust, the dragon determined, if possible, to take the life of the most felicitous Anne, or, if that was impossible, to see that she should obtain little satisfaction from her pregnancy. For the pride of Lucifer was so boundless as to persuade him of his ability to overcome or take away the life of her who was to be the mother of the incarnate word, or even the life of the Messiah and Redeemer of the world, if only he could obtain the knowledge of their whereabouts. His arrogance was founded upon the superiority of his angelic nature to the condition and power of mere human nature, as if both were not subject to grace and entirely dependent upon the will of their Creator. Audaciously, therefore, he sent himself to tempt Holy Anne, with many suggestions, misgivings, doubts, and diffidences about the truth of her pregnancy, alleging her protracted years. All this the demon attempted in order to test the virtue of the saint, and to see whether these temptations would not afford some opening for the perversion of her will. But the invincible matron resisted these onslaughts with humble fortitude, patience, continued prayer, and vivid faith in the Lord. She brought to the naught and perplexing lies of the dragon, and on account of them gained only additional grace and protection from on high. For besides the protection abundantly merited by her past life, she was defended and freed from the demons by the great princes who were guarding her most holy daughter. Nevertheless, in his insatiable malice, the enemy did not desist on that account. And since his arrogance and pride far exceed his powers, he sought human aid. For with such help, he always promises himself greater ease of victory, having at first tried to overthrow the dwelling of St. Joachim and Anne, in order that she might be frightened and excited by the shock of its fall. But not being able to succeed on account of the resistance of the holy angels, he incited against St. Anne one of the foolish women of her acquaintances to quarrel with her. Thus the woman did with great fury, insolently attacking St. Anne with reproach and scorn. She did not hesitate to make mockery of her pregnancy, saying that she was the sport of the demon, and being thus found pregnant at the end of so many years and at so great an age. The blessed Anne did not permit herself to be disturbed by this attack, but in all meekness and humility bore the injuries and treated her assailants with kindness. 
From that time on, she looked with greater love upon these women and lavished upon them so much the greater benefits. But their wrath was not immediately pacified, for the demon had taken possession of them, filling them with hate against the saint. And as any concession to this cruel tyrant always increases his power over his victims, he incited the miserable dupes to plot even against the person and the life of St. Anne. But they could not put their plots into execution because divine power interfered to foil their natural womanly weakness. They were not only powerless against the saint, but they were overcome by her admonitions and brought to the knowledge and amendment of their evil course by her prayers. The dragon was repulsed, but not vanquished, for he immediately availed himself of a servant who lived in the house with Joachim and Anne and exasperated her against the holy matron. Through her, he created even a greater annoyance than through the other women, for she was a domestic enemy and more stubborn and dangerous than the others. I will not stay to describe what the enemy attempted through this servant, since it was similar to that of the other women, only more annoying and malicious. With the help of God, St. Anne won a more glorious victory than before. For the watcher of Israel slumbered not, but guarded his holy city, Psalm 124, and furnished it so well with sentinels, chosen from the strongest of his hosts, that they put to ignominious flight Lucifer and his followers. No more were they allowed to molest the fortunate mother, who was already expecting the birth of the most blessed princess of heaven, and who, enriched by heroic acts of virtue and many merits in these conflicts, had now arrived at the fulfillment of all her highest wishes. I, too, desire to come to an end with this chapter, in order to hear the salutary instructions of my mistress, and preceptress, who besides assisting me in all that I write, also favors me with her maternal admonitions, which I receive with highest joy and exultation of my spirit. Speak then, O lady, and thy servant will listen. Genesis 18.17 If thou wilt permit, although I am dust and ashes, I will state a doubt which has occurred to me in this chapter. Yet in all things I'll remit myself to thy sweet benevolence as of my mother, teacher, and mistress. The doubt in which I find myself is this. How is it possible that thou, the queen of all creation, conceived without sin and endowed with a soul exalted so high in the knowledge of all the things by the visions of the divinity, shouldst be filled in spite of all these graces, with so great a fear and anxiety of losing the friendship of God and of offending him? If, in the first instant of thy existence, thou wast prevented by grace, how couldst thou, at the very instant, fear to lose it? If the Most High exempted thee from the original sin, how couldst thou fall into others, or fear to offend him who had preserved thee from the first offense? Instruction and Answer of the Queen of Heaven My daughter, hear the solution of thy difficulty, in the vision of the divinity, I instantaneously recognized my innocence and the stainlessness of my conception. These favors and benefits of the Almighty are of such a nature that the more they are understood and made secure, so much the more will they excite care and solicitude for their preservation and for the avoidance of any offense of their author. They are given to his creatures out of pure goodness and are accompanied with such clear intuition regarding their dependence on the merits of my most holy son, that the soul immediately centers its attention only on its own unworthiness and insufficiency, convinced that it cannot merit them, that it cannot appropriate them to itself as being foreign in its nature.
as they are seen to belong to such a high master, to whom can they revert to be distributed according to his pleasure? A most deep-felt solicitude fills the soul, lest it lose again what it thus freely given. The soul, therefore, begins to work with great diligence in order to preserve them and to multiply the talent. Matthew twenty-five fifteen, Since it understands that to be the only means of keeping the deposit and of fulfilling the object for which they were given, namely to make them bear fruit and to contribute to the glory of the Creator, this care is precisely the condition necessary for the preservation of the benefits and graces received. Besides this, the soul is made to understand the human frailty and the freedom of the will for the good or evil. Of this knowledge the Almighty did not deprive me, nor does he deprive anyone of it, as long as he wanders through this life. But he gives it to all according to measure, in order that by its guidance they may be filled with holy fear of falling into any fault, even the smallest. In me this light was greater, and I clearly saw that a small fault prepares the way for another, that the second is only a punishment of the first. It is true that on account of the blessings and graces of the Lord, sin was impossible in me. But as providence so disposed of this knowledge that my absolute security from sin was hidden to me, I saw that as far as depended on me alone I could fall, and that it was the divine will that preserved me. Thus he reserved to himself his knowledge of my security, and left me in solicitude and holy fear of sinning during my pilgrimage. From the instant of my conception till my death I never lost this fear, but on the contrary, grew in it as life flowed on. The Most High also gave me humility and discretion not to ask or to examine too closely this mystery, but solely to direct my attention toward increasing my confidence in his goodness with a view to obtain his assistance against sin. Thence resulted those two necessary dispositions of a Christian life. The one a quiet preservation of tranquility in the soul, the other the constant presence of a holy fear and watchfulness, lest the treasure be lost. At this latter was a filial fear, did not diminish love, but inflamed and increased it more and more. These two dispositions of love and fear produced in my soul a perfect harmony with the divine will governing all my actions, so as to draw me away from evil and unite me with the highest good. This, my dear friend, is the great test of spiritual things, that they come with true enlightenment and sound doctrine, that they teach greater perfection of virtues and excite a strong impulse toward seeking it. This is the excellence of the benefits which descend from the Father of lights, that they give assurance and confidence while making the soul humble, and that they encourage while exciting solicitude and watchfulness, though still preserving tranquility and peace in the solicitude. For all these effects are not incompatible in fulfilling the will of God. Do thou, O soul, offer humble and fervent thanks to the Lord, because with so little deserving of thine, he has been so liberal with thee, and has so greatly enlightened thee with divine light, breaking for thee the seal of his secret archives, and yet filling thee with holy fear of his displeasure. Nevertheless, make use of this fear with measure, and strive instead to excel in love. Thus, with these two wings raising thyself above the earth and above thyself, try to rid thyself of the inordinate disturbance of excessive fear, and leave thy cause with the Lord, and make his cause thy own. Let fear be with thee until thou art purified and cleansed of thy sins and of thy ignorance, but also love the Lord in order that thou mayest be transformed in him 
and set him as the master and the arbiter of thy actions without desiring to be above any person. Do not trust thy own judgment, and do not be wise in thy own conceit, Proverbs 3.7, for the judgments of men are only too easily blinded by their passions, throwing them out of their course and drawing after them the will as their captive. Thus it comes that men fear what is not to be feared, and rejoice in that which is not profitable. Take heed, lest thou be dissipated by every slight interior consolation, but hesitate and restrain thyself until thou findest with tranquil solicitude the proper measure in all things. This happy medium thou wilt always find if thou remain subject to thy superiors, and willingly accept that which the Most High works in thee and teaches thee. Although thy undertakings may be good as regards the intentions, they must nevertheless also conform to the requirements of obedience and of prudence, for without this guidance they are usually deformed and without any profitable result. Be thou, therefore, in all things solicitous about that which is most holy and perfect. This concludes our reading today from the mystical city of God. We we're reading from chapter 20, and we read that chapter in its entirety today. We know that the Blessed Virgin Mary was conceived in the womb of St. Anne. We know this came later in the life of St. Anne as well. And today we hear a little bit about how evil was trying to pursue St. Anne, trying to discover this great miracle that was taking place, what was going to happen from the one that would come forth from her womb, the Blessed Virgin, who ultimately would deliver to us the Savior of the world. And so we can see that even from the beginning of Mary's life, evil wanted to squash this plan of God. We saw it right at the beginning of creation. God created all things good. He created everything in his image and his likeness. But yet there the serpent, the evil one, was looming and so now the evil one looms around St. Anne, but we see how God protected her and God preserved her and also the Blessed Virgin Mary. And so we become aware in our own life. And I think we see this a lot when we are doing something positive, when we're doing something good, that oftentimes we can become attacked by evil. And just know that if this happens, if there's an onslaught of temptation or if some evil forces you sense are around you, well, know that you're probably doing God's will. And the evil one is trying to destroy you from doing God's will because the evil one doesn't want God to conquer. And so we wish to persevere in virtue and in grace and come to know God and love God all the more. Let us pray for one another that we might resist the temptations of the evil one that we might always be safe in the arms of Jesus and his Blessed Mother. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading from the Mystical City of God. I'm honored that you are listening today, and I hope that you'll join me again tomorrow. May God bless you, and Mary pray for you.